As we've said before, we're starting a new uh, series today, a new preaching series. Uh, we're going to be looking at 1 and 2 Thessalonians over the next term. Um, it's a wonderful, that's uh, two wonderful letters um, from Paul uh, to the church in Thessalonica. So today we're going to do a bit of uh, background work. We're going to look a bit at the church at the um, city where this church was, at Paul and his missionary journey there. Um, and then we're going to dive into uh, chapter 1 as we just heard it read. Um, but before that, I'm just going to pray for God's help um, for us all to hear his word um, and for me to speak clearly. Um, so would you just join with me in prayer? Lord God, we do thank you for your word. Um, Lord, we thank you that as the, the world around us shifts and changes, your word remains the same. Um, Lord, we thank you for the wonderful letters of 1 and 2 Thessalonians um, and the way in which we can read the encouraging report of a church that um, seemingly didn't stand a chance to survive but thrived, Lord, because of your work through your spirit. Um, Lord, we ask that your spirit would be with us now as we hear from your word, uh, that you would be encouraging us um, and challenging us by your word. Uh, help me, Lord, to speak clearly, uh, truthfully, um, and to give glory to you as the one who has revealed yourself in your word to us. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, before we jump into uh, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, um, it's chapter, uh, not, it's 1 Thessalonians because it's the first letter of 2, obviously, um, and Thessalonians because it was a letter to the Thessalonians. Very um, creative they were when they titled books of the Bible. Um, before we jump into that, it's worth us getting to know the Thessalonians a little bit. Um, if you've got a handout that Hopefully, Barb, uh, smiling Barb, handed you as you walked through the door. Uh, that would be a great thing to orient you as we work through the passage. Um, but we're going to get to know the Thessalonians a little bit. Um, it's probably a bit rude to read a letter to someone that you don't know. Um, so let's get to know the Thessalonians. Um, first of all, who are they? Well, the Thessalonians lived in Thessalonica. Um, there should be a map that hopefully pops up. Uh, hopefully, you can see that. There's a map of um, Paul's second missionary journey, uh, that's a map in first century. You can see the red cross down the bottom, that's Jerusalem. And if you see the little city skyscrapers up in the top corner, and hopefully in small print you can see Thessalonica there. It's in Macedonia. If we go to the next map, that's it in modern days, uh, in the modern day. Um, it's now in the north of Greece. Um, again, Israel down in the corner, and you can see the Mediterranean Sea there. Um, if you go to the next one, uh, the city of Thessalonica still exists today. Um, it's now called Thessaloniki. Um, it's just north of Athens in the north of what is modern-day Greece. Um, it's the second largest city um, in, after Athens in Greece. And if we go to the next photo, you'll see that it's a port city. Um, it's located on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, in the first century, it was located on a major Roman road. It was a centre for cultural trade and... A, and just a centre for buzzing culture, really. People coming in and out. Um, if you go to the next photo, you can see there's the ancient walls of Thessalonica in Thessaloniki, now the modern city uh, in northern Greece. So this is the place where the Thessalonians were. Uh, this is the people that Paul uh, wrote this letter to. And I share this with you because I want us to know tonight that this is not just a theological excerpt from the Bible. Um, this is a letter. Uh, this is a letter to real people in a real place, and it's an incredibly pastoral letter from Paul. Um, but if we jump back to the first map, hopefully the next, there we go, 
You'll see that Thessalonica is a long, long way away from Jerusalem. And if we read the first verse of 1 Thessalonians 1, we see it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, that's who the letter's from, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a letter to a church. But you might ask, what is a church doing all that way away from Jerusalem in the first century? How on earth does a church start? I googled this. Google Maps reckons it's 2,364 kilometres from Jerusalem to Thessalonica. How does a church in the first century start that far away from the centre of Christianity in Jerusalem where Jesus came, he lived, he died and he was raised again? Google Maps reckons it's a 12-day walk. Obviously, they didn't have cars back then. But Google Maps also reckons that you can walk 200 k's a day. So I don't know who's fit enough to do that. I reckon it's probably closer to at least a month's walk from down in Jerusalem, around the Mediterranean Sea. You could sail parts of it. But it's going to take you a long time to get to Thessalonica. So how did the church get there? Well... If you've been with us at Salt, you'd know that we studied Matthew's Gospel last term. And when we got to the end of Matthew's Gospel a couple of weeks ago, we heard Jesus tell his, last, his disciples his last words before he left them. And these are the words that Jesus said to his disciples. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them everything and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age so this is Jesus's commission to his disciples and we read in the book of acts that Paul becomes a disciple of Jesus and Paul chooses to follow this commission as a disciple of Jesus he chooses to go and tell the gospel to the nations. We read about that in the first few chapters of Acts. And in Acts 17, he gets all the way up to Thessalonica. So if you have a Bible with you, um, or if it's on your phone, uh, flip back to Acts chapter 17. So before this in Acts 15 and 16, uh, Paul gathers uh, Silas and Timothy. You would have noticed them from the title of the letter. He gathers them as a little team to travel out and do a missionary journey. And by chapter 17, they reach Thessalonica. This is what it says in Acts 17 from verse 1. When Paul and his companions, at Silas and Timothy, had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, 
they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world, and now they have come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went into a Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were more of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. So this is what takes place as Paul takes the journey up to Thessalonica. He reaches Thessalonica. He's able to preach in the synagogue for three Sabbath days for three weeks. He convinces a bunch of people that Jesus is the Messiah, but then the Jews get jealous. And they push Paul out of the town. They start a riot. They kick him out. They even follow him down to Berea and chase him out of there too. Now let me tell you, Going somewhere for three weeks, preaching, and then getting kicked out of the town is not a great church planting strategy. I spent a term studying church planting at college, and everything that you read and study suggests that you should stay a long time with people, you should build strong relationships with them before you leave them and move on. Because it takes time to build relationships with people, to build trust, to develop leaders in a church so the church can be healthy. If you want longevity in a church, you need to stay for a long time with the people. But this is not what happened in Thessalonica. In fact, it's the exact opposite of what happened in Thessalonica. Paul was there for three weeks and then he got kicked out. And if you just read Acts 17, you would think that this was a disaster that this church plan had failed, that the people had lost Paul, the apostle who was teaching them, and surely they've just given up on their faith. And this gives us a bit of an insight into why Paul would be writing this letter, 1 Thessalonians. I'm sure Paul must have been very worried about these people, about this church that he loved, but only got three weeks with. And we learn another insight into why he's, reading, uh, he's sending this letter to the Thessalonians, and we see it in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians. So if you flip back to 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 3 we actually see that Paul has sent Timothy back to the church to check on how they're going. Obviously Paul hasn't been allowed back to go there, but he's able to send Timothy there. And from chapter 3 verse 5 we read this. It says, For this reason, when I, that's Paul, could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labour might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really lived 
since you are standing firm in the Lord. So Paul has been worried about this church, but he's just heard back from Timothy that they're doing well, that they're still trusting in Jesus and they want to see them again. So as we study 1 and 2 Thessalonians this term, this is a bit of a background to these letters, to the relationship between Paul, who's writing the letters, and the church of Thessalonica. He's gone there, he's travelled over 2,000 kilometres to meet these people, to tell them the gospel. He's been kicked out after three weeks, but he's just heard from Timothy that they're doing well. And more than doing well, we're going to see in chapter 1 here that they're thriving that their faith in Jesus has actually become known all around the ancient world. So how would I summarise 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? Well, I've given it away on the title of the outline. These are words of encouragement. These are words of encouragement from Paul to the Thessalonian church to encourage them in their faith, to tell them that they're doing a good job. I reckon if Paul could do the online five love languages test today, he'd be a words of affirmation guy for sure. Paul loves to affirm and encourage the churches he's visited and he writes letters to. I think maybe acts of service could be up on the list for Paul, but I think gifts would probably be at the bottom. He never wanted anything in return for what he did. This is a chapter of encouragement for Paul, from Paul to the church. And my hope is that it's an encouragement to us today too. As a church who trusts in Jesus, who seeks to stand firm in the gospel, I pray that this would also be an encouraging chapter for us at Sol. So let's jump in uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and see what Paul has to say. One chapter, verse 1, uh, the letter is from Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. And in verse 2, we see that he tells the church that he's been praying for them. If you look at verse 2, it says, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice the words that Paul uses there to describe what the Thessalonians have been up to? work and labour and endurance. It's been a really tough slog for this church. And we've seen that in Acts by the reception that they gave to Paul. I'm sure there were Jews that were still around giving these people a hard time. But look at the motivation behind their work, labour and endurance. Faith, love and hope. See, these people aren't labouring in vain. Their work, their labour, their endurance is for the sake of God and that's proof that God is at work in their life. And that's what Paul wants to encourage them with. God is at work in your life and I can see it and I'm praying for you that it continues. Faith, love and hope is what's keeping the Thessalonians going. And where do faith, hope and love come from? Well, they come from God, don't they? So Paul encourages the church. He says, I'm praying for you and I can see that God is using your faith, your hope and your love to continue in the work that you're doing. But he doesn't want to just encourage them, Paul. He wants to assure them too. 
He wants to assure them about their faith, even though they're suffering. In verse 4, he goes on and says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And you might ask, how could Paul know that the church in Thessalonica was chosen by God and loved by him? Well, Paul tells us in verse four, uh, 5, sorry, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. It's because the gospel wasn't just words to these people. No, the gospel was the power of God working through the Holy Spirit that brought deep conviction into their lives. We read later that they turned away from the idols that they were worshipping to worship the true and living God. And it's the fact that this all took place in severe suffering that Paul rejoices in. We've already seen in Acts the, the reception they got given. And their suffering is imitating the apostles because Paul himself suffered. Uh, many of the apostles suffered and died for their faith. And Paul says, you imitated us, but in imitating us, you imitated Jesus. Because Jesus was the one who truly suffered for us. That's how Paul knows that they are loved and chosen by God because they came to trust in God even though they were suffering. I don't know about you, um, but I think this is true for me that when times are tough, your assurance in your faith actually becomes stronger, not weaker. Uh, Now, I haven't been through anywhere near the tough times that most of you have probably been through. But for me, whenever things are going badly... It's when I'm more assured of my faith. Because when things go badly, the rubber hits the road as a Christian. The truths of the gospel actually mean more than when things are just going well. I think it can be easy as a Christian to just coast along in life and things are going well and to not really reflect on the true hope of the gospel, the true power and joy that there is in the gospel. But when we suffer, when things get tough, that's when the true power of the gospel comes to the forefront. That's when you know that the gospel is not just a bunch of nice words, but it's the power of God to bring about real hope and joy, a joy that can only come from God's spirit within us. So Paul assures the church of this. In their suffering, be assured that your hope and your faith remains. And more than that, he tells them that the faith that they have in this suffering, the way that they are enduring and working, that faith is actually being a witness to the world around them. It's an incredible thing. If you look at verse 7, we see that they have become models to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And then in verse 8, their faith has become known everywhere. In verse 8, it says this, The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, 
who rescues us from the coming wrath. It's wonderful that the gospel's gone full circle here. If you think about Paul, he goes to this church in Thessalonica. He shares the gospel with them. He has to leave after three weeks. The Thessalonians believe the gospel. They let it shape the way they live their lives. And then the, the, the news of this faith that this church has spreads to the world around them. And now Paul is saying that he hasn't been able to go back to the Thessalonian church, but he's heard from the world out there that they're doing well. He's heard about their faith. It's come all the way back around to Paul. It's a wonderful picture of the way a gospel, the gospel can shape a community, can impact a community and the world. I'm sure Paul was incredibly encouraged and proud of this church when he heard back from Timothy and from the people that surrounded the church about their faith. So that, in summary, is the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. It's a chapter of encouragement from Paul. It's a chapter about an incredible church that began in suffering, has continued in suffering, but is showing the world true faith. And as we look at it as a church today, I just want to leave us with a couple of encouragements. The first encouragement I have for us today is to encourage one another. Paul actually spends the first three chapters of this letter. It's a chapter with only five, uh, it's a letter with only five chapters in it. So more than half of this letter, Paul is encouraging, reassuring, telling them how, how much he misses them. Paul spends most of his time in this letter just encouraging, just affirming the believers in Thessalonica. And I think we as a church should take this on board and hope to do the same. I think we should think seriously about how we can encourage one another. Because being a Christian today is becoming harder. 